the volume nice and loud. Because we are controlling You're in the mix with Lil Drummer Girl. With your host, Dawn Marie. Hello, welcome to the Little Drummer Girl podcast. I'm your host, John Marie, GMU Tell, and thank you so much for joining us. Today's guest is Joanne Jensen. We met at the Grand Prix races here in downtown St. Petersburg a couple of weeks ago, and when I found out that she actually works in the industry, I got so excited and had to get her on the show. Joanne became involved in motorsports back in 1981 as a volunteer marshal, a flagger, you know, the ones in the white suits on the corners. It has been her good fortune to work with Formula One, the World Endurance Cup, NASCAR, IndyCar, and its earlier group. She works for two sanctioning bodies, IndyCar, the premier open-wheel Formula Car Group, and the IMSA, the premier sports car racing group. Indy's car schedule consists of 17 races, including the Indy 500 plus five other ovals along the road and street courses. She is a nationally licensed racing steward and has been a registrar and race chairman. She's also been a regional executive president at a local SPCA group several times and was elected to the National Board of Directors, where she served as vice chair. So without further ado, let's get Joanne on the air. Hey, Joanne, how's it going today? Wonderful, DM. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you very much for being here. I know with all of that racing going on, <laughs> that your time is extremely limited. No, it's getting busy right now. The interesting thing about my schedule is that while I'm gone for maybe 25 weekends out of the year, I have a wonderful break in the wintertime. So it's just the opposite of school teachers. <laughs> well, that's great, because then you can just head over to Australia for a while and catch their summertime. <laughs> so, can, can you tell us a little bit about what you do with the races and how you got into the market? Sure. Um, let's start with how I got there first. Uh, I started, as you said, back in 1981 as a volunteer through the Sports Car Club of America, which is really the, the primary grassroots racing organization in the United States, the nationwide organization manages lots of different kinds of motorsports, and I started as a volunteer flagger, flag marshal on the turn, and it was absolutely enthralling to me that there were all these people who, for nothing but points and trophies, would prepare a race car and go racing, and they would let somebody like me stand right up close to the cars, show them flags, and push them if they happen to become disabled for some reason, it was it was an eye-opener. And that's something that many people don't understand, is that if you wanted to volunteer and just become a part of the racing community as a hobbyist, there are so many different ways to do it. You don't have to be a competitor. You can be someone like me who tried competition, wasn't very good, um, but I'm, I'm great at administration. So back in the early 80s, that's what I started with. And then over time, I developed certain skills and had certain um, experiences, which enabled me to move up. There were kind of two different ladders. There was that administrative ladder so that I was a club organizer and an event organizer and ended up on SCCA's board of directors. But then there was the race volunteer, and my specialty became communications. And so what I do at the racetrack now is I organize the flag marshals. I make sure that they're properly oriented to what we need, specifically to whichever of the two racing groups we're working with, either IndyCar or IMSA. I make sure that they understand what our expectations and needs are, 
and then I help them by filling up their toolkits with whatever tools they need to hit the mark and give us what we need. So that's my, my overall job. Specifically, I meet with people every day. I sit up in race control during our sessions with the race directors. I provide them information, and I feed direction back to the marshals. We use either a, a closed landline system or we use radios. It just depends on the venue. We have a fairly highly evolved protocol for communicating. We also have a very specific protocol for what flags to display under what circumstances. That's awesome. Um, what would you say was like your first big break into the business from, from being a volunteer? Oh, it was so funny. Um, at least I think it was funny now in retrospect. I was living in Indianapolis at the time and um, had some experience under my belt communicating with the with the flag marshals as a volunteer. And they brought Formula One to Detroit. And not the first year, but the third year, I believe, they decided that they wanted me to come into race control at a professional race. My first ever experience in race control was Formula One. I was so lost. I mean, I was awful, and I had no business being invited back, but wow, that that was my big leap. It was as big a leap as there can be. (laughs) International racing, absolutely tip-top. There's nobody higher in the echelons of, of racing internationally in Formula One. <laughs> but you got through it. <laughs> Have you ever felt that there was any kind of pushback being that you are a female in a mostly male working environment? Well, you know, racing is a young man's game. It truly is. And so it's, uh, and, I, and I am not a young man. Um, I'm neither a man nor all that young anymore. And so um, I try to stay... Uh, quick-witted, and retain a sense of humor. Sometimes we women are so solemn, and, and that's kind of a turnoff for a, lot of, for a lot of men, particularly in a working environment. So I try to maintain that, that lightheartedness and a, a good disposition. Beyond that, I have run into some gender bias, I think, but I think it was more, um, I think it was unintentional and certainly unconscious. And that was uh, as I grew through the ranks of the Sports Car Club of America's administrative side. Remember, that's the, the club organization side. And I was elected to the National Board of Directors. Um, I was the only female for a good bit of the time. And um, all of the other people on the board were um, gentlemen who owned their own businesses, and that was not me. However, what I learned, and I think it was a good lesson, was that by working twice as hard, knowing what the proper processes were, and paying very close attention, much more than the rest of them did, I really rose to the top. So there was a case where I was able to use my skills and my ability to focus and get ahead in an environment where I might not otherwise have been able to. That sounds so impressive. I mean, just from speaking with you that day, I can sense that you're like a very diligent, hard worker. And I always believe like, you know, you really do have to work hard and improve yourself. And, and, and I think it's in any industry that you're in because I think people start to think, oh, I have a job. They don't appreciate it or what have you. But it's so important to really to hone your skills and, and learn as much as you can in the industry that you're in because, like you say, you just don't know where you're going to end up. Oh, that's absolutely true. Uh, never in a million years with my college degree in English history and philosophy, which is not very practical, did I ever think that I would end up doing this. That's why I love life. <laughs> you just don't know. It. That's exactly right. You mentioned earlier that you have raced yourself. Um, how, did you go to auto racing school to learn how to drive the cars or how 
how did you learn how to race? Well, I had been a, a race volunteer for a long time. And people said to me, well, if you want to become a steward, that is to say someone who makes decisions about competition, then you really need to have driven. And so I did some track days and not really competition, but some track days. And I learned a lot. I learned that it's extremely labor intensive. And so it's important to have some respect for the time and effort of the people who are racing that when you are strapped into a car, it's noisy and you really can't see very much. So have some respect for the fact that movement in a car is very limited. And those mirrors, those are so small, they hardly do anything. (laughs) Maintaining situational awareness is very difficult inside a race car because there's so many distractions. And it's, it's, uh, it takes a very high level of effort. It's a very physical effort as well. So I learned a lot and I was really bad, but it was well worth the effort. <laughs> Sounds amazing. I mean, it's something I've always wanted to do is to learn how to drive a race car. And when I was in New York, I think it was a, like a Skip Barber school, but it was out in Pennsylvania. It was out of the way for me to get to it. And um, plus the expense of it, it was very expensive. And I didn't have the funds to do it. And it just, and again, I didn't see any girls really driving. And so I just didn't really care because I was like, I just want to drive a fast car and have a good time on the track, you know. And um, to this day, uh, actually, when I was in Daytona 500, I was out there a few years ago for the first time. I got to see that track, which was really amazing. Um, they were offering a special, you know, one of the racers was out there practicing and said, come back out tomorrow, you know, for X amount of money. And you guys can, like, drive in the car. And we, we were so tempted, but we were on our way back to New York and we couldn't over to do it, but I just love the fact that they're here in uh, St. Petersburg every year at the uh, Firestone Grand Prix because I just find that just amazing that they take up the whole city. It's just so much fun, and I get such a kick out of it. It is very exciting. I mean, the the community has really embraced the event, and that's really what it takes because it's upending. I mean, we close close, um, streets. We use up... um, Lots and lots of uh, landscape for our event, and it's noisy. And and people, some people really go for it, and some people really don't. But St. Petersburg's been extremely supportive. Yeah, and it's just it's so nice that it's on the water down there, and it's I love it. It's just, I'm thinking, you know what this would cost me to go to in New York if it was happening out there? First of all, it could never happen. But you know, if it did, it would be like you know. Tens of thousands of dollars to get a ticket or something. Uh, I, I don't want. I want you to think about the possibility of going driving. You don't have to go to a racing school. Um, find a racetrack, and they'll probably have lapping days, and they might even provide the cars where you can get in a car, and they'll have instructors, and you can sit as a as a passenger, or you can become the driver with an instructor as the passenger, and you can get that high speed or higher speed safe instructing experience that that might lead you on to other things and I would recommend that for anybody. Well that sounds great. I'll have to look into it. I know we have one track out here and I don't know um, what they offer because I went there for a special event so it was closed but um, I will definitely look into that. Thank you for that information. I appreciate that. It sounds like, you know, you're doing so much travel with, with all of the, the races. How do you, when you're on the road, how do you strike any, like, balance for, uh, for yourself to decompress and just chill out because it's so many hours per day? Like, do you find ways that you can just have some kind of a work-life balance? I know that's a crazy question to ask you, but... Well, <laughs> um, I try to preserve the time when I'm at home um, as as quiet time because it is, you're right, it's... 12, 15-hour days, 
depending on what the event is, or we just finished a 12-hour race in Sebring last weekend, for example, which means a, a close to 20-hour day. Um, so I, I, I am a mosaic artist and a musician as well, um, and so I try to take a deep breath when I'm at home and maintain the serenity that I can. And then when I'm on the road, I use the time in the airplane as kind of neutral time. So I kind of zone out. And that keeps me from being stressed if something goes goofy on a on a trip because, you know, travel is weird. <laughs> and it's not as pleasant as it used to be. With all so the, true. Uh, so true. I, I used to love travel. Oh, yeah, but not anymore. It is much harder. And, and I have uh-huh. routines. I pack the same way every time. Um, you know, without fail, everything is in the same place all the time. So predictability is a way to keep me calm. Um, I use the time on the airplane to kind of zone out, and I and I read. I read mysteries, and so I I'll read or I'll listen to music on the airplane. When I get to an event, um, I try to eat well. I, I'm a low carb. I'm a high vegetable, high protein kind of a girl. I try to make sure that I get as much sleep as possible. I do meditate. I do um, some exercising, not as much as maybe I should on the road, but at least I I do take those deep breaths. And then, I again, I try to maintain a sense of humor because, in reality, as long as nobody gets hurt, at the end of the day, whatever mistakes anybody, including me, will have made, nobody's going to remember them. And if you can laugh them off, so much better. I love that. That is so true. So tell me, Joanne, are you ready to take the 11-stroke roll rapid-fire interview? Um, sure. What is it? Sure. Okay. I'm going to ask you 11 quick questions, and you're just going to answer them very quickly. Oh, my God. Okay. Whatever comes to mind first is the right answer. Is that correct? <laughs> That's correct. All right. <laughs> <I'm ready. laughs> okay. Awesome. What's your favorite pastime? Uh, mosaic glass. What's your favorite travel spot? Oh, dear me. I, home, actually, is the best for me. Okay. What is your favorite food? Pizza. Cool. Have you ever had New York pizza? Yeah, and it's so good. <laughs> crust, I love that. Yeah. What's your biggest pet peeve? People smacking their chewing gum. Mm. What is your favorite personal item that you cannot live without? Oh, gosh. I have a wooden Buddha that I take with me everywhere I go. Nice. That, I love that. What kind of music gets you all pumped up? Actually, good blues. Car or motorcycle? Motorcycle. Favorite person to hang out with? Oh, my partner, Steve. Um, my partner, Steve. He's a great guy. Love him to be Your favorite author? Oh, probably T.S. Eliot. Your favorite race that you've ever worked? Oh, Lordy, that's a really tough one because they're all good in their own ways. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm going to... Gosh. Gosh. I can't because, seriously, <laughs> they're all good. <laughs> one lesson you've learned never to do again oh <laughs> never try to never try to match anybody drink for drink in a bar the night before <laughs> <laughs> I love that that's awesome what was that mistake <laughs> I'm sure you paid royally for that the next day <laughs> Oh, my goodness, it was quiet. Let me just say that. <laughs> Double vision. You know. Oh, 
it's the light, it's noise, yeah, and we talk well, about a headache and a migraine. And, a, you know, oh and, they, and they said, why are you still wearing your sunglasses? And I said, yeah, because. <laughs> <laughs> I love them. <laughs> so tell me, Joanne, do you have any words of wisdom for those who might be looking to break into the business? Yes. Just be patient. Be patient with yourself and with everyone else and get as many experiences as you can in motorsports. Everybody, I mean, unless you are like an engineer, schooled as an engineer and can be a part of a team whose job it is to prepare a race car and support a driver, almost all the officials started out as volunteers. And so it's very difficult to find a paying gig. And so the fact of the matter is nobody's really going to get rich doing this. But it can be extremely fulfilling. And the fact is that you come for the racing, but you stay for the people. So enjoy the people because they're all very intelligent and passionate. There's nobody at the racetrack who doesn't want to be there. And that sets it apart from other kinds of employment where there are people who are just working because they must. So there's a, there's an excitement about it. And, of course, it's an adventure. And there is some risk and some hazard. Um, take that in stride and appreciate it along the way. That's great. Words of wisdom, I really, that's awesome. Thank you so much. So, Joanne, it, it looks like we're almost out of time here. How can um, our listeners stay in touch with you? Are you on social media? Do you have a Facebook account? Or I do not have any social media access, um, and that's largely because I just don't have the time. But um, my email, certainly anybody can email me, and I will give my email address, which is my name. It's uh, J-O-A-N-N-E-J-E-N-F-E-N at cox, which is C-O-X dot net. And I would love to hear from anyone, and I'll ha- be happy to respond. That is terrific. Thank you so much, and thank you again for being here today. I'm very grateful. Well, thank you. It was my pleasure. I'm so glad that we were open to meeting each other there at St. Pete. <laughs> Definitely. And I hope to see you next year when you're back. So please let me know when you come back. You bet. I shall do that. I will. So I wish you so much luck with the upcoming races. And really, I am looking forward to seeing you again next year. Thank you. You take care of yourself, all right? And everybody out there, please take care. Thank you, Joanne. Thank and to you those of you listening today... Thank you for being here. I wouldn't have a show for Warren for you. And if you like this episode, please share the love and pass it on. And remember, we're on iTunes, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, and Google Play. So be sure to subscribe so that you'll never miss out on any episodes. And don't forget to check out our YouTube channel. That's the Little Drummer Girl, L-I-L Drummer Girl with Dawn Marie Mutel. I'll be sure to add those links here in the show notes. But remember, it's never too late to begin to live the life of your dreams and leave the trailblazing behind you. So rock on and rock out. Until the next time, I'll catch you on the flip side. Namaste. 